0: Okay, if you got your Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. So I'll go ahead and and tell you, uh, we've kind of had a little mistake here, so if you're paying attention, we skipped over the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the reason we skipped over the parable of the Good Samaritan is because about six, eight weeks ago when I was laying out the text for the next few weeks of sermons, I had intended originally to put the last sermon in with two sermons ago, and it was all going to be one sermon. And then when I got to the text, I I had to split them up because there was just too much I felt like to say about those two different texts. The problem was I forgot to mention that to Tanner. And so what happened is he was on the old schedule, and so we are supposed to be a week ahead. But instead, the passage that I gave him uh, is is the story of Mary and Martha. And so we have skipped the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we will go back to next week. Um, but that's my bad. So I felt bad about it. At the last minute, kind of throwing an audible in there and saying, no, 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 scrap that first sermon and, and start this different one. So, um, so our text is is Luke chapter ten. Verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this time, God. We thank you um, for your goodness and graciousness to allow us to meet together, um, God, to open your word, God, and to uh, hear it expounded upon. Father, we are thankful for the fact that you reveal yourself to us um, through your word, that we have access to that whenever we want to, God, that we can come and we can hear you speak uh, in your word uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, at any time. God, um, we thank you for this incredible um, intimacy and access that we have to your throne through your word. God, let us not take those things for granted, that we would uh, diligently seek after your word, both in our in our personal lives, God, in our in our corporate life as a, as a congregation, that we would not neglect the gathering together um, of ourselves, but God, that we would come together um, with the intention of, of opening your word and hearing what you have for us out of that. Father, we continue to pray for our, uh, country and our community. We pray for, um, God, all the things that are, are going on in, in its life, uh, and its difficulties, God. Uh, we, we ask special prayer, um, for our, um, our nation, um, concerning the, the events, uh, in Atlanta, um, that have, that have, uh, um, caused caused uh, a lot of upheaval in, in in our country. God, we continue to pray for the issues on our border um, as as we deal with with the um, very urgent crisis going on there. Father, we continue to pray um, for issues surrounding um, uh, the COVID virus um, as as people are um, inoculated and and. Uh, we pray that you would continue to bless and show mercy on our community, our church, and our nation um, through those things. Father, we ask for your, for your blessing in all of these. We ask for your mercy in all of these. Um, God, we are painfully aware of our own smallness, our own inability, God, our own powerlessness in, in the face of many of these things. And so uh, we ask that you uh, would care for your children as you always do, um, and that you would watch over us uh, and provide for us each day. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your provision. As we open your word, God, shine the light um, of the Holy Spirit on this text. Um, Let the Holy Spirit speak through this text to our hearts, um, and let us understand it rightly. Uh, We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh Tanner's going to come and lead us. I wanted to real quick say uh part of the reason why um, I asked Tanner to preach today is because I had I was on a youth retreat this last weekend and so I kind of thought to myself, you know, weekends lead, weeks leading up to youth retreats have a tendency to fall apart. And and they often do. And so I was like, and I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that week is going to fall apart. And I'm going to ask uh, Tanner if he'll preach for me ahead of time. And guess what? It fell apart in ways that I couldn't even have anticipated. Uh, we had to admit my mom to to the hospital on Thursday night. We were there till about midnight on Thursday and then back again most of the day on Friday. Um, she is doing um uh, a lot better than we were afraid she might be doing on Thursday night. And so some of y'all were aware of that. Thank you for your continued prayers. But um, just also thank you um, to Tanner um, for being able to share with us uh, this, this weekend. And, and the, the, the conference went really well. The retreat, that is, went really well. Um, we had a number of students there, and I, and I think the, the, the messages that we heard were gospel-centered. Uh, that the kids were engaging with them on on that level, Um, and it was a fun weekend all around to to get to know each other and and connect with each other in terms of fellowship. So thank you for your prayers along those lines, too. So I'll ask uh, Tanner to come on up and uh, share what God's laid on your heart.
1: Is this microphone on? Okay, cool. That makes sense. How is everybody? I think everyone knows me. If anyone does not, my name is Tanner. Uh, I currently do youth ministry at Mount Olive Baptist Church up in Knoxville, but I was a member here for, for a while. Um, and so my wife and I, we, about a year ago, did some change accepted the call to go do youth ministry up at Mount Olive Baptist Church. And a few of you have asked me how, how it's been going, and the answer is really weird, um, Because we've all had a weird year. It's just been this weird thing where we were here, and then God called us somewhere else, and then we have had out of all, I think like 64 possible Wednesday nights, we could have had a Wednesday night each service, we've had exactly 20. So it's just been a weird weird time. But I'm super excited to be here tonight. I'm excited for what God's going to show us here in this passage. And and when Ash first gave me this passage, um, I I wasn't, let me be honest, I wasn't sure what to do with it. Right. I wasn't sure what angle to take. I didn't know how I was going to talk about Mary and Martha for 30 to 35 minutes because it's, it's a classic. It's a very classic Sunday school staple. Um, I'm sure when Ash read the passage, you could picture the flannel graphs. Right. You remember flannel graphs. There were those little, little cut out cartoons that you'd put up on the board. We all picture the flannel graphs of Mary and Martha. Right. And it seems it seems pretty cut and dry. Like what's happening here. Martha's a busybody. Mary worshiped Jesus. That's the problem, right? Case closed. Um, However, it's not really that simple. It's not as simple as Martha is the worst because she is doing stuff and Mary's the best because she was sitting at Jesus' feet. For one, what Martha's doing isn't evil things, right? If we take a step to to think about it, the point of this passage can't be uh, being hospitable is a great way to shipwreck your faith. Right. I don't think that's what this passage is, is teaching us. So it must be teaching us something else. Should I move it up or down? OK, okay cool. All right. Uh, so there must be something else happening here. And, and as I was thinking about something that's happened, what, what's going on here, what's happening in the background here that makes Martha's actions bad and Mary's good. I thought about this thing that's in corporate world called finding your why. I don't know if any of you are in corporate circles, but I've, I've spent some time there. And there's this idea of finding your why. And, and what your why is, is, um, is is the motivation behind what you're doing, right? So in, in the world, in the working world, why do you want to do a good job? Why do you want to try? Why do you want to show up to work? Why do you want to impress your bosses or, or whatever? The answer to that question is your why. Um, And that's something in the corporate world that I would normally make fun of, but I actually think it's a smart idea, right? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is your motivation? What is the reason you're getting up out of bed going to church? What is your reason for serving in this way? What's your reason for any of the things we do? Finding your the why is is almost just as important as the what. And so the main idea, I guess, for this passage is that Martha's problem isn't her what, per se. It's not what she's doing that's a problem. It's it's almost just her why like why is she doing what she's doing what is her motivation why is Martha doing what Martha is doing why is Mary doing what Mary is doing so let's look at the text here because I think I think we'll see that pretty clearly as we we dive in so in verses 38 and 39 we we first meet Mary and Martha but before we get into that I, I want to look at the context here verse 38 now as they went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, the first words we see are, as they went on their way. And I want to focus on that for a minute, because understanding the context of what's happening here in the narrative arc is important to help us know what this passage isn't teaching. We don't know exactly where Jesus and the disciples are coming from. The last thing we see narratively is the sending and the returning of the 72. So we can safely assume they're returning from doing something right? Some sort of mission work, whether it's going to a town and preaching, whether it's doing miracles, whether it is directly after that meeting of the 72, we can safely assume that Jesus and the disciples were returning from doing something. So why is that important? It's important because uh, this passage isn't about the evils of working and serving, right? Because that could be maybe one takeaway from this. But the fact that Jesus and his disciples are returning from working and serving and probably going somewhere else to do more working and serving, we can clearly see that that's not what's happening here, right? Jesus is not anti-working for the gospel. It's not anti-service. Um, we see that because where he's coming from. But also, uh, this is where you would normally put a proof text, right? If you're going to claim something is true, you would link to another verse in the Bible. The problem is, I would argue, pretty much the rest of the entire Bible supports the idea that Jesus is not against you working and serving for the gospel. I mean, it's basically the rest of the New Testament, because in the New Testament, you see the disciples, the apostles working tirelessly for the gospel, you see the ministry efforts of Paul, you see other people serving, you see other people sacrificially serving, so obviously, this passage isn't against the the virtues of of working, but one passage that did stick out to me to this end, that I did want to highlight, is Acts chapter 6, so in Acts chapter 6, you have this, this interesting moment in the early church, where up to this point, the apostles have pretty much been the only movers and shapers. They're doing everything. They're praying, they're preaching, they're teaching, and they're also running the food distribution ministry. And predictably, they hit a limited bandwidth. There's only so much a person can do, right? you got to sleep at some point. So the apostles run into this problem. They've maxed out their bandwidth. They can either stop preaching and teaching or stop doing the service ministry so they can focus on preaching and teaching. And what they choose to do is they empower people to continue doing the food distribution ministry, the the justice ministry to to the widows in the area. And that's important because it shows that this ministry was important, right? This idea of service and hospitality was important and crucial to the early church. It was important enough to where the apostles basically created an office to continue to carry it out rather than letting that ministry fall by the wayside. So I say all, all that to say, that the actions of what Martha are doing here are not the problem. Jesus is not against hospitality. And in fact, if you look at the text, Martha is the one who invites Jesus in. I think we'd all agree that's a good thing, right? She's the one that invites Jesus to come into the house. So specifically what Martha is doing isn't the problem. So then what is the problem here, right? That begs the question, what's the problem here? And the problem is, Again, it's the it's the case of Martha's heart. The difference between Mary and Martha is not as concrete as we'd like it to be, right? This would be a much very easy passage if I could just give you a list of like three things Martha did wrong. Like these are the three things Martha did wrong, and we can move on. But it's it's not that simple. Um, The problem is is the motivations. It's it's the motivation of the heart that leads to the decisions. Martha and Mary make in response to Jesus that are the problem. And we start to see that. We start peeling back the layers of that in verse 40, right? So what does verse 40 say? Verse 40 starts by saying, but Martha was distracted. Martha was distracted, right? So what is Martha distracted from? She's distracted from Jesus himself. She is so wrapped up in in serving that she's missing the fact that the Savior of the world is sitting in her living room. And I I think, I think we can all relate to Martha here on some level, right? She is so focused on her own plan that she doesn't have the ability to see Jesus sitting right there. And if you're like me, which maybe you're better than me, but when I read passages like this, I kind of think to myself, man, Martha is so dumb. Like she's so dumb. Like if I was hanging out, and Jesus was just chilling in my living room, I wouldn't be caught up doing silly little stuff. Like, I would go worship Jesus. Except the problem is, you would be no better than Martha, because you're no better than Martha now. I would argue, anyways. At least I'm not. Because, as people, we kind of love distraction from the gospel. It's sort of our jam, right? We we get distracted from the gospel. We get distracted from the goodness of God. And some of these distractions are are pretty obvious, um, I think the most obvious distraction from the gospel in the Christian life is sin, right? If you are uh, a raging alcoholic or adulterer, I think we can all pretty much agree that, hey, you're probably not focused on the gospel. I think we're all on the same page there. Um, another obvious distraction is church squabbles, right? Church squabbles are a huge distraction from the gospel because sometimes as a church, we can be so focused on on who said what thing or who drank another thing, or what kind of songs we're singing—that that we miss the point, right? That we make that the point of the gospel. Um, another one is, is this is kind of tied in, uh, but but politics, right? Politics are an obvious distraction from the gospel. And again, it, it's an important thing to have in a political opinion. I have political opinions. I would assume and encourage you to also have political opinions. The difference is. What defines you, right? Are you defined by your political opinions and your political opinions inform how you view the gospel? Or are you defined by the gospel and the gospel inform your political opinions? Are, is this thing that God has given us, the ability to govern ourselves, distracting from God himself? So I think those are the obvious ones. But I don't think that's the camp Martha's in, right? She's not distracted from the gospel by being obsessed with some gossip she heard Mary saying, right? That's not what's happening here. Martha is distracted from the gospel by serving, which is a second category I want to look at here. Other distractions are much harder to catch. They're much harder to detect. Why? I think that's because a lot of times we are distracted from the gospel by things that are inherently good, but we put them in the place of God, and so they actually become counter counter counterintuitive to the gospel. Uh, The first one I thought of, and this one's kind of obvious, but I think careers, careers can do that, right? Uh, And careers are not a bad thing. They're actually a good thing. Part of how we were created is we were created to work. That's inherently wired into us. Adam and Eve worked in the garden before the fall of man. And, And I don't, you know, I don't know if any of you have been laid off of work for an extended period of time. I know I've gone a few weeks without a job before. I'm sure most of us have, especially in the last year. And I don't know, when when I'm not working, when I don't have like wake up and have an objective, I feel kind of crummy, right? Like I just feel like, oh man, I feel like I should be doing something with my hands. And I think that's part of how God created us. God created us to be that way. So careers are not inherently a bad thing. However, they're not to be our ultimate purpose. They're not the reason that we get out of bed and our feet hit the floor. We have other stuff to worry about. And careers are tricky. Because most jobs want to be your purpose for living, at least in my experience. Most jobs want you to make that their ultimate goal. They want to be that place in your heart that God is. Even if they don't say it, functionally, that's what happens, right? I've had jobs like that before, and it was super draining, and it was awful. But we can't let that happen. We have to push back against that because we have other responsibilities besides our career. We have a responsibility to our church. We have a responsibility to God, and we have a responsibility to our family. And all of those responsibilities need to be properly ordered and not be a distraction from our ultimate responsibility to God. Speaking of families, families can also, believe it or not, I believe, be a huge distraction from the gospel. And by that I mean we can make family an idol. I think as a church, we can tend to make having families an idol. So what does that look like? Uh, I think it looks like a few ways. Um, one way it can look is, is do you find yourself – uh, withdrawing from the church, whether it be for a season or for a month or for a week, whenever it's expedient, whenever it's convenient for your family, right? I, and, you know, I don't want to – I'm sure everybody has legitimate reasons for stuff, but I've seen, you know, people who miss church for like six months, and it's just because they said they needed family time. That is a picture-perfect example of taking family and putting it in the place of God. Or corporately as a church. Do we as a church, and this isn't we like just this room, but like church, you know, do we as a church look suspiciously at single people, right? Do we look at people that are single with with kind of suspiciously, like, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about that girl. They're not married. Or married people that don't have a bunch of kids. Do we look at them suspiciously? Like, I don't know about them, right? They don't have like a big family, so I don't know if I can trust them. I think they might be less safe. And none of us would articulate that. I'm telling you, man, none of us would articulate that, but it happens, right? Because we, sometimes as a church, idolize family. And this one's really hard, especially for me as a father, because I have two boys that I would take a bullet for. And that's right, and that's good. But we have to always be, be searching our heart, because where is that love for our kids coming from? Is that love for our kids flowing from Jesus out to them or is that love, is that love for our kids taking the place of that love for Jesus? Is it taking the place of that devotion to God? Are we being devoted to our family in lieu of devoted to God? Or are we devoted to our family as a response to our devotion of God? So that is a way that, that family can distract us from sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? And the last one, and this one's Martha, is is service and works. And I know that sounds weird, but but what's Martha crime here? She wants to serve Jesus. That, that seems like it should be a good thing. However, she is, in my opinion, leaning on her service, leaning on her works as something to make her right before Jesus. Uh, and Christians do this sometimes, right? Instead of engaging with Jesus, instead of engaging with your sin, you might get so uh, committed to doing different work projects. Like you're, maybe you start like three ministries, which is great. The church needs ministries. They need three ministries. But why are you doing it? Are you working as a response to the gospel, or are you working to prove to yourself that you are worthy of the gospel? Does that make sense? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you serving in the kids ministry? Why are you doing all this stuff? If it's like Martha, maybe to cover something else, cover something up, or maybe to try and make you yourself feel worthy to have Jesus in your house, then you're missing the point. That work and that service has now become a distraction. It's not doing what it's supposed to. Our work and service is supposed to be a response to the gospel, not a way to make us feel worthy of the gospel. And when you're working to feel worthy of the gospel, like Martha is here, it causes tension. Because it's a fool's errand. You're never going to do it. You're never going to be good enough for the free gift of salvation. And so what do we see happen here? Next thing that happens is Martha lashes out at Mary, right? Martha is working so hard. She, she's pressing. She's trying to prove that she's worthy of the gospel. And then she just sees Mary just hanging out. Right. She's just sitting there doing nothing. And, you know, I, I try not to um, when I'm reading scripture, I try not to impose emotion that isn't inherently there. Right. Because I think you can get into weird interpretation errors. Uh, but I think Martha's emotions are pretty easy to read here. I almost heard. Uh, So I have two boys, for those of you who don't know. I have Elliot, who's two, and Emmett, who's four. And I almost heard, like, uh, whenever sometimes Emmett will get a toy, as soon as Emmett gets a toy, it is now Elliot's favorite toy in the entire world. Those of you with multiple kids know how that works. So Emmett will get a toy, and then Elliot will go and try and take it from him. And then Emmett will look at me with total exasperation and basically say, Dad, are you going to do something about this? Do you see this injustice that's happening to me? Are you going to do something about this? And and I feel like that's Martha here, right? She feels like this grave injustice has happened. She is running around the house. She's serving Jesus. Maybe she's cleaning. I, we don't know what she's doing, but she's busy. And Mary's just sitting there, and she looks at Jesus, and, and she wants Jesus to correct this grave injustice, right? Like Like a wounded kid looking at their parent. But the answer Jesus gives, it's not what Martha expected, right? Martha was working, she was serving, she was, she was doing stuff. But she was doing it for the wrong reasons. These misplaced motives lead, led to her seeing Mary as being wrong. And she expected Jesus to, to step in and correct this injustice. However, Jesus, seeing what's really going on here, steps in to correct Martha. He shows her as, as, is cons- as consistent with Jesus' ministry, That what Jesus really cares about is the heart, is the motivations, what's happening on the inside. Martha wanted Jesus to correct Mary's actions. Instead, Jesus looked through that and spoke to the condition of Martha's heart. And that leads us to verses 41 and 42, which is this idea of anxiety versus the good portion, right? Anxiety versus the good portion. And I do want to do a disclaimer before we get too deep into this discussion about anxiety, right? I'm not talking about clinical, diagnosed physical anxiety here. I think that's a different that's a different thing. Uh, What I'm talking about is what Martha's going through here, which is an anxiety that is the result of not trusting in God. Uh, I've I've had anxious times before. I've lost sleep. I've skipped meals. More often, I've eaten way too much, right, as a result of anxiety, and that wasn't clinical anxiety, right? I didn't have a huge chemical imbalance. I didn't... My body was not failing me in that way. That was anxiety as a result of not trusting God in some way. That's what I'm talking about here. This I'm not saying, you know, if you're anxious and you have an actual medical issue, it's because you don't trust God. That's a different thing, right? That'd almost be like saying you broke your leg. That's because you don't trust God. You know, if you jumped off that building and you trusted God more, your leg would be fine. Like, that's not what we're saying here. But... Even those of us who, who have, who actually have diagnosed mental disorders that, that need medication, there's still room to trust God more. Does that make sense? I'm not saying all your problems are because of a lack of faith, but we can all still grow in this area. Cool. All right, let's get into it. So Martha's problem, as we covered, it, it's not her actions, right? It's, it's from the place or the basis of these actions. And as Jesus reveals, Martha is acting out of a place of anxiety and trouble, right? That's that's the text. That's the words that the ESV uses, or that Jesus uses, right? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And what does that anxiety and that trouble push her to do? Well, in the space of a few verses, we see that it's pushing her, like we said earlier, she's distracting herself from Jesus, right? This anxiety and this trouble is pushing Martha to distract herself from Jesus, and it's pushing her to lash out at Mary, so we see two very ugly effects of this anxiety and this trouble. Um, and I think it's a simple truth that an ugly condition of a heart leads to ugly results, even though it, it initially started from a good place. Initially, Martha was doing good things. But when pressed, when things got hard, when she started to really feel that stress, it bore ugly fruits. It did not bore, bear good fruits. And, and I would argue this is always going to be the case. Anything we do that is built off of anxiety, built off of fear, it won't stand the trials of the world. It may lead to temporary virtue, but it will ultimately fail, and it could be taken away. But there's something that can't be taken away, and what can't be taken away is what Jesus calls the good portion, right? That's what can't be taken away. So what is the good portion? I wanted to highlight Two passages from Matthew. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them for us. The first is Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. All right. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and the Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then later in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what's the good portion? The good portion, just from what textually, is Jesus, right? Jesus is the object of that verb, right? One thing is necessary: the good portion, which not be taken away from her he's referring to himself he's referring to his teachings but by looking at these verses we learn something more about the good portion especially contrasted from the anxiety and the trouble that martha is feeling because jesus one he understands our needs matthew 6 right he understands our needs he knows what you need and so we have the assurance that because jesus knows what you need at the end of time right at, at the final day at the final resurrection Everything's going to be good. Like, you're going to have everything you need. Everything is working according to God's plan. We can trust that we serve a Savior that knows what you need and loves you and wants to give it to you, right? But we also can trust that we serve a God that is gracious and that his burden is easy and his yoke is light and that we can rest in him. So we serve a God that knows what we need and wants to give it to us, but also we serve a God that we can rest in. And that's what can't be taken away. That's the foundation that can that can be a good motivation when times are hard, right? So that's the difference, I believe, between Mary and Martha here. It's not that Martha is a busybody and and Mary was being super zen, chilling at Jesus' feet, right? It's about their hearts. Martha was serving as a result of an anxious heart. She was unable to rest in who Jesus is as her provider. So she gave herself over to work as a distraction. While Mary, on the other hand, did recognize that jesus was here and it was time to rest in him and in our lives there will be time for work to time to work hard for the gospel and there'll be time to rest there's going to be times where we're going to be serving and working hard and and doing things almost like martha was here and there's going to be times where we need to be like mary and and resting in jesus and reading and praying and, and maybe taking a step back uh But what I would posit to you is is that both are right if you're doing it for the right reasons, right? If your heart is resting in Jesus and who he is, and you're not doing it out of a place of anxiety or trouble, then you are doing the right thing, because Martha's heart was the problem, not her actions. Her actions were were motivated by a lack of trust in Christ's sufficiency, while Mary's were in response to it. We must be careful that whether we are working or resting, we we're always doing it in response to what Christ has won for us. And if you're like me, you find yourself in the Martha camp way more often than the Mary camp. Way more often than not, probably what I'm doing is on some level motivated by anxiety and a troubled heart, rather than perfectly resting in Christ's efficiency. Uh, but I want to kind of wrap up today by, by showing that there is grace for that, that Jesus is always there offering the good portion And so I wanted to look at the next time we see Mary and Martha, all the way over in John chapter 11. And, you know, if you're not familiar with what's happening here, this is where Lazarus has died, right? And we have this picture where Jesus, he he intentionally arrives late, which is, you know, had to be so hard for Mary and Martha. And we know it was because when Jesus shows up, Martha says, Jesus, if you'd been here on time, things would have been different, right? Things would have been better. And Jesus says, don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? Don't, don't you know that, that who I am? And Martha says, yeah, I mean, I know that on the last day, like, everything's going to be good. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. Like, do you know who I am? And then we see Martha in, in the deepest personal tragedy, right? When we just saw her here not be able to rest in Christ, here she turns to Jesus and gives him One of the clearest professions of faith we see in the gospel in John chapter 11, verse 21. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, Martha, in her deepest pain, is trusting in Jesus, and Jesus is responding with love. Martha here is leaning on the good portion to survive her darkest hours. So when we think about the difference between Mary and Martha, it's not really their actions specifically we need to focus on it's their hearts mary's heart was tuned to lean on christ and trust in him for peace right that, that's the good portion martha's heart was searching for a distraction that could make her feel worthy or just to not think about these different things the, this lacking and we must fight against this temptation to be of being motivated by our anxieties and troubled hearts because true discipleship it's about becoming more like Jesus and having a heart that can lean on Jesus regardless of the circumstances, whether that be in a time of work or rest. But we also have the assurance, like we see in John chapter 11, that, that if we fail, Jesus still shows that grace to us. Every day is a new chance to embrace the good portion that Jesus is offering us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you uh, for this day. Thank you that we can come together and, and study your word, God. And Just help us as we go through our week to embrace the good portion that that Mary embraces, God, and and to not fall into the trap that that snared Martha and probably snares so many of us, snares myself time and time again, God, of, of doing things out of an anxious and troubled heart rather than doing things out of a satisfied heart that's resting in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing the closest.
2: Okay. Oh,
0: Amen. Thank you, Tanner. That was awesome, man. Um I was I was kinda as you as as you were talking about at the beginning, I was like, Yeah, how do you talk for thirty five minutes about these four verses or whatever? Um but man, everything you said was was um uh super on point. And so thank you for that. Um hope you have a good week. Um it's good to see you. I'm glad it's spring. I'm looking forward to to um, the coming weeks. Um, as we as we head up to Easter in 2 weeks um uh, I didn't put it in the bulletin um but but we've kind of sp- sent the word out through small groups a little bit um looks like we will probably continue to do what we have done for the last few years for Easter Sunday and that is we will have a morning service for Easter Sunday not an evening service okay um and so obviously that's different in the way we do things on a week to week basis but but for one, um, just sort of the significance of the fact that uh, of that Easter morning, when uh, as as the sun rose and Jesus is resurrected, and and so we're we're sort of um, as the church has always done, um, recognizing that, but also recognizing that many people are, are uh, Easter Sunday are trying to spend time with their families and have have relatives in and different things like that, and so so uh, we want to we want to try to accommodate that and, and get give people time with their families as much as possible, and so um, that will that will hopefully mitigate the the weekly abnormality that is us having our services in, in the afternoon instead of the mornings, and so we'll give you a specific time. Um, We'll we're kind of like last, uh, couple of years, we have attempted to have an outdoor service, um, for the last two years. And it's been like warm weather, warm weather, warm weather. And then Easter Sunday, it was like, ah, yeah, we're going to, it's going to be 40 degrees outside or whatever. So, so we'll see again this year. we are kind of play it by ear. We might try to do that again, but if it, if it doesn't line up, we'll be in here. Um, one of the nice things now is, is that, uh, uh, Vienna is closed on Sundays completely, um, all the time. And so we have, Free rain on, on Sunday mornings. And so we should be good. So, um, but anyway, we'll, we'll keep you up to date on that and, and, and let you know how it's going to play out on Easter Sunday. Uh, other than that, here's your benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.